Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm coaching softball and we had three games yesterday. Um, and uh, I am a yeller. Um, today we've got four games. <laughs> it's going to be... Gonna take a PA system with me to um, one of those cones that I can yell at them what to do. But anyway, so I hope that you can take it <laughs> last through the message with this voice. I'm sorry, it's already irritating me. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay, so um, hi. Are you guys good? Okay, so so one thing that I just want to make clear: um, the church and our role as pastors in the church, it's, it's not to make anybody do anything in the word or that the word says. Our role as leaders in the church and as a shepherd of the church is to lead and guide you where the word says we are supposed to go. You are the only one that can choose if you want to take that path or not. We can't make you. I think it's a mistake the church made in the past. It's trying to force people to make choices for their lives. And then we have to keep forcing them and we have to keep running programs and we have to keep trying to keep up to keep forcing them and then people fall off the, the track. And then we bring discipline in and try and force them again to get back on again. The reality is it's your choice. It's your decisions. So any message I preach on a Sunday, it's your choice, it's your decisions. It's going to impact your life. It's decisions you're making for you, not for me, not for Life Church. It's for you. So I want to encourage you to make those decisions because it's the best life that you can ever live. It's the one where you're doing it God's way. There's no better way than that. So I want to encourage you to do that. But, but no, it's your choice. So today's message, I was encouraged this morning or this week, I want you to know, so what were the characteristics of the early church? I oh, know that's not going to help, I tried. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. It's holy water. <laughs> um, I'm encouraged because the characteristics of the early church was People were sharing the gospel, the good news, the good news that God is for you. That's the first characteristic. People were saved. There were new conversions. People were healed of infirmities, ailments, sickness, disease. And people were set free from wrong demonic impressions that's on their lives. Wrong things that the choices they've made, a path that they chose, and they were set free from that. And this morning in prayer and just knowing the testimonies of what happened over the last week, we've had new people give their lives to the Lord for the first time. We've had people healed from infirmities. And we had people delivered from wrong choices and bondage. Which means the Spirit of God, the same one that was in the first church, is alive here today also. So those things are available for you today also. Okay, so, so in 2 Kings, if you want to go read a great 
just a great book in the Bible. So many amazing stories in it. Um, it's about the life of Elisha and how God used them. Now remember the prophet, the word prophetic means the word of God, speaking the word of God. And the prophet represented God's word. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, he says the following, and this is when um, Elisha and uh, Gehazi, we call him Gehazi in Afrikaans, uh, Gehazi was surrounded by the enemy. Now listen to this amazing story. Early in the morning, a servant of the holy man got up and went out. Surprise! Horses and chariots surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed, oh, master, what shall we do? He said, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. You know why this happened? This happened because Aram, the king um, of a nation that was against Israel, kept plotting to set up ambushes for the armies of God, for the armies of Israel. And then every time Elisha would tell the king in advance, don't go there. The enemy has set up a, a trap there. Don't go there. The enemy. And so he was upset. Like, why are we not killing these Israelites? And then somebody said to him, but there's a prophet. His name's Elisha. And he keeps telling the king, where are we setting up our ambushes? And the guy's like, okay, we have to go after him. We've got to kill that guy so we can get to the guy that we want to get to. So this is why this, this servant was surprised. Horses and chariots, and there goes communion, surrounding the city. <laughs> Stop laughing at my voice. <laughs> okay. The young man exclaimed, oh, no, master, what shall we do? He said, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. Then Elisha prayed. Listen to this amazing prayer. Oh, God, open his eyes and let him see. The young man, the eyes of the young man were opened and he saw a wonder, a whole mountainside full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. Elisha prayed. His prayer was, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. Now the question I have is, his eyes were open enough to see the horsemen and the soldiers and the armies of the enemy. But his eyes, they weren't open enough to see what God has got. So the prayer was, open his eyes. It says, when he opened his eyes, it says the whole mountainside was full of horses and chariots of fire. Now listen to this part. Surrounding Elisha. It was around Elisha. Those angels were there. They were positioned there by God. And this man of God, he saw them. See, I do believe that we can see God's provision in our lives. We can see it. God is there. It might not be visible to others. Maybe it's not visible to you right now. But I want you to know because of the relationship you have with God, God can give you sight where others don't see yet. And it's called discernment. 
discerning God's will and discerning God's ways. Discerning is a whole new level of seeing. That's why in the kingdom, we aren't really taught by learning. I think learning the Bible is good, but I know a lot of very well learned people that don't know anything about God. They might know the scriptures, they might know the Bible, but they don't know his ways. They've never experienced his plans. So we are taught discernment, and it's part of something that I want every single one of you to have in your lives, is the discernment of God. See, the academic world, they can't compete with discernment. They can't. The natural world is trying to compete with the spiritual world, and it can't do it. The natural world can't compete with who God is and what He's done and what His plans are. The tendency that we have is we seem to think that our intellect can get us over into the spiritual. Like if I just learn more Bible, if I read more philosophy, philosophy books and, and, and more authors books. And, and you know what? Reading those books, no problem. Read them. But I want you to know it's not going to get you to knowing God unless you step into the relationship of not just reading a book of somebody else's words, but it becomes your own. Intellect can't get us into faith. Um, This chapter I love in 1 Corinthians 26, it says the following, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. And remember, (laughs) you guys... Nobody looked at you and went, wow, those guys have insight. Nobody looked at you guys when I called you and go, yeah, you know, these are the finest men you can find. Jesus picked the cream of the crop. Nobody said that. He said, instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those things that they think are wise. Chose fishermen instead of Pharisees. Instead of scholars. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. And used them to bring to nothing what the world considers as important. Man, that's an amazing scripture. Why? Why did God do that? Why did God use the foolish things, the things that are nothing, that we consider worthless? Why did he use that? It says the last part, so that no flesh, no flesh can glory in his presence, stand in his presence, said, you know what? It's my intellect that brought me to you. It's my wealth of knowledge that made my relationship with you more valuable. It's so that no flesh can say that. I thank God that we can go to university. We can go and study. We can gain wisdom and insight because I do think there is power in knowledge. There is for sure. I'm thankful for that. But here is something which I think will give a, a lot of you a lot of hope. You don't have to be smart to have faith. Some of you might go, whew. (laughs) thank you you don't have to be smart to have faith man that that hits me and this really bothers people who are smart (laughs) 
<laughs> because they've got their big education and, um, and it bothers them. It makes them also somewhat jealous because they've spent so much time in educating themselves and getting more knowledge and more knowledge. And, and, and this is not a talk against academics. Please hear me. But what you're going to find is that faith usually, and you have to be ready for this, faith puts the person who's willing to step into faith in a place of ridicule. It puts the person who's willing to step into faith in a position for if what you have faith for is not working or doesn't work, for people to laugh at you. That's what faith will do. I've got faith in something. I'm going to apply it. I'm doing it. And, and there is a chance that if it fails, people are going to look at you and go, <laughs> look how ridiculous you are. And smart people don't like that. They don't like to be laughed at. Usually, what they do is they, they don't want to take a chance. They have formulas and risk formulas to make sure that they never look like a fool. But faith, man. Faith is when God gives you a plan. And there is no second plan because he knows the first one will work. Faith is when God gives you a plan and he doesn't give you a backup because the first one works if you step into it. He'll just tell you to do what he tells you to do and faith will work. Now you and I, every single one of us sitting here today, every single one of you have been given a measure of faith. The same measure. The person next to you don't have more or less. He's got the same measure as faith. As the, the most, uh, if you think of Paul or Peter or any one of the, you've got the same measure of faith as, as our forefathers and the ones, our patriarchs, the people that we look up to. You have the same measure of faith as they have. Our prayer should be, God, open up our eyes so that what we see, we can see the things, but not just for the things that we see now. The things that you want us to see in faith, open up our eyes so that we can see that. Now we get to this morning's message. It sets it up. Naaman. And Naaman is an incredible man in the Bible. Second Kings 5, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master. He was highly respected. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. This man's resume, if you go read about Naaman, his resume is impeccable. Naaman was like, he was like a five-star general. He was um, in, in the nation where Aram was king. He was respected. He was honored. He was successful in every battle he went into. 
The same title uh, that we read there applied to Naaman, which was, the man was a valiant warrior. That same title was also applied to Gideon, David, Jeroboam, Eliada. That title was applied to Naaman. And Naaman is the only Gentile, meaning non-Jewish man, that God applied that title to. He was honored. They viewed him as a great man. He was highly respected in society. And, but it's got this one last sentence. This man was a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now, leprosy, ancient leprosy. I'm going to read to you exactly what it is. It's, it's, uh, it's nasty. It began as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spots got bigger and started to turn white with soft and shiny or scaly appearance. Pretty soon, the spot spread all over the whole body and hair began to fall out, first from the head, then from the eyebrows. And things got worse from there. Fingernails, toenails became loose. They start to rot and eventually fell off. Then the joints of the fingers and the toes began to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums began to shrink and they couldn't hold any teeth anymore and they would lose all their teeth. Leprosy kept eating away at the face until literally the nose, the palate, and even the eyes rotted. And the victim wasted away until death. That's leprosy. That's, that's a serious disease. So it says, this man was revered, he was honored. In spite of his education, he's a leper. I want you to get this. In spite of his notoriety, he's a leper. In spite of being a general He's the leper. In spite of all his rewards, his accolades, his recognitions, in spite of all those things, he's a leper. And in that society, it was significant. It was severe. Because leprosy affected all of you. Things come out of your skin. And then when it started spreading, it became even more dangerous. We had, you can't compare COVID to leprosy, but, but you all know right in the beginning stages, when somebody got COVID, what did you do? Stay away from him. This was way worse than that. This was so bad that people started, when, you, when it got to the stage where it was visibly noticeable in the face, they were completely pushed out of society. The, the Jewish culture had it that the person who had leprosy had to walk around and if somebody comes close to him, he has to yell, unclean, unclean, meaning don't come close to me because you can get it also. It was contagious. So they were castaways. If you were a leper and it started to advance, you become a castaway. So this man was a leper. It's amazing. 
that one thing that's so wrong can mess up everything else that was so right. One thing. This guy was simultaneously a captain and a conqueror and a castaway. Well, fame, fortune, accolades, all of that, yet just this one thing. The other part that is so important is, is how leprosy is also tied to something that's going wrong spiritually. This man, with everything right, one thing wrong, messed up everything that was right. Now, the question to you, what is your leprosy? Don't just look at the story and go, oh yeah, he was a leper. What is your leprosy? What is the one thing in your life that is messing up all the good stuff that's going on? You may be successful in your career. You may have a great marriage. Your finances are good. Educational achievements. Maybe you, you can hand out a resume that is so impressive that people would look at that and go, wow. But there is this one thing, if you add it to your resume, people will want to stay away from you. What is your leprosy? What is that thing that you've been dealing with, struggling with? Now, this was Naaman's reality. This was his scenario every single day of his life. This is what he had to deal with. He had the but phrase, but he was a leper, to the footnote of his life. Now, we're going to read on. We told in verse 2, that in one of the battles, Naaman took a slave girl um, to come work in his house. And the slave girl is from Israel. And she went to Naaman's wife, her mistress, in verse 3, and says, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he could cure him of his leprosy. I want to read that again. I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria then he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman's wife, she said to her, if we can get him, my boss, down to Israel, to the prophet Elisha, who represents the word of God, I believe Elisha could change his leprosy situation. Now, she was a little girl. She had, we don't know her name. She had no claim to fortune. She, she, she's not anybody specific. Um, she was nobody in terms of position or age, but. So not the smartest person, not a doctor, not a scholar. Someone who knew the word of God is alive somewhere. Someone who knew the word was there. So Naaman goes to his boss, the king, and he says, this little girl told my wife who told me that I may be able to get healing from this leprosy. There is someone who can solve my leprosy problem, and he is in Israel. He's a prophet in Israel. 
So the king Aram in verse 5 says, Go now, I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothes. And he brought them to the king of Israel. And he says, I've sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. Today, the gold will be worth $3.263 million. The silver would be $1.2 million. So we have a little girl of no notoriety that knows that the word of God is alive somewhere. There's a prophet in Israel that can cure your leprosy. The problem is Naaman, what did he do? Didn't go to the word of God. He went to the government. Naaman went to the king, the government. And he said, listen, I hear there's a solution is in Israel. What do you think? And the government said, I'm going to give you some money and we're going to throw a budgetary solution towards this problem. We are going to buy your healing. So the king gave him $4 million, um, 10 changes of clothes. I don't, know much, I don't know how much that was worth, but depends on where you shop. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. I hope... I hope that you have somebody in your life. I hope that you are part of a community, a home group, a cell group, a, um, a men's group, whatever it might be, where there are people that's going to point you towards the word of God that will give you divine deliverance for your leprosy. Because if the government could have solved it, it would have solved it. If he could have fixed it, in a nation that's already more powerful than what Israel was, they would have fixed it already. It would have been fixed. So he uses power and government and he uses money to try and solve his problem. So the king sends this to Israel, to, to the king, and, and he says, I'm paying you off to fix my captain. Now listen to Israel's response. When the king of Israel read the letter, <laughs> he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive. King's like, am I, like, your government is asking my government to fix something that your government can't fix? Our earthly governments can't fix this. This is a death sentence on this man, and you want me to play God? That, you, that this man is sending word for me to, to cure a man of leprosy, but consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. So the king of Israel is going, okay, this guy is sending his general to me to try and cure his disease. He knows I can't cure it. All he's looking for is a fight. He wants to set us up so that we enter into war. Now, when Elisha hears about the king tearing his clothes because Naaman went to the king at the instruction of his master, because his master had the wrong approach. So Elisha tells the king of Israel, send Naaman to me. Send him to me. Send that impossible situation that you are ripping your clothes for. That thing that you can't solve, send that to me. Wow, that's that for boldness for the Word of God. Hey, how's the Word of God so bold? That thing that you can't solve, that leprosy thing that you've been struggling with, God is like, bring it over here. Let me show you what I can do. 
I love that. And Elisha tells the king of Israel, send Naaman to me. Now it's going to get way gooder. Okay. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots. <laughs> I love this. He stood at the house of Elisha. So now this big general shows up, right? So he's Elisha, humble. He's humble abide. He's in his humble abide. And this guy shows up with chariots and $4 million worth of stuff and changes of clothes and, and, and everything is there, right? And he goes and it says, um, he knocks on Elisha's door. And this is what Elisha does. Hey, Gehazi, go tell him, go wash himself. Just go tell him to go wash himself in the Jordan. Man, puffed up pride shows up at your door with a show of power. Go wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. <laughs> Naaman was furious, ticked off mad and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand, hocus pocus, over my places where I've got it. I was thinking he's at least going to do something, right? But all he did was he sent a word. That's it. Do you know who I am? It says in verse 12, he went away in rage because he said, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not go and wash in them and be clean? Turned away, ticked off. I'm not just Naaman, Elisha. I am Captain Naaman. You tell me to go wash myself. I have people washing me for me. And Elisha is like, you don't get it. See, the reason why Naaman had, had an issue with the Jordan is because he didn't understand the Jordan. See, for him, it's just a dirty river. His rivers in, in um, Damascus were better than the, than the Jordan. But for Elisha, it was the place where God did miracles. Many miracles happened in the Jordan. But it was also the place where God gave instruction for him to go. It was God's word to Naaman for his situation. God's word to Naaman for his situation. Not a general one. For Naaman's situation. But I really believe this. If we don't know the power of God's word, you're probably going to bring your education, education. You're probably going to bring that. You're going to bring my professors thinks, my classmates think, my university says this. You're going to bring the world's perspective on how to solve your problem. I want to say to you, if the world's perspective or view or insight was good on your situation, your problem would have been solved already. Same with Naaman. His problem would have been dealt with already. So his servant, it's a good thing he's got a servant with him. 
servant comes to him and says, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, give him another million dollars, give him this, give him that, told you to do something hard, would you have done it? And the answer is yes, Naaman would have done it because it would have been more suitable for who he is, for his education, for his stature. How much more then when he says, go and wash and be clean. Just go and do that. If he'd given you a hard thing, would you have done it? He gave you something easy and now you're going to fuss and cuss and get mad about the prophet. You're going to get mad about the word that came to you. And this is the part that, that I think we should just, I hope that, that this is the place where the Holy Spirit speaks to you about your situation right now. This is the part where I want you to hear God speaking to you because this is like us. We have problems. We have a leprosy. And maybe yours right now is not leading towards death. But you have issues in your life. There are things that you are struggling with. We have a problem. And the word gives us an answer. God's word gives you the answer for that problem. But to us, the answer is too simple. It's too general. It's just a Bible verse. It's just scripture. It's just a message I heard on Sunday. We feel God needs to create a whole new answer for us. Where every single thing you are dealing with, the answer is already given. Every single one of them. Your marriage struggling? I'm speaking to married couples. The word's very clear. Gives us clear instructions. Husbands, love your wives. And he tells you how. Wives, respect and honor your husbands. And he tells you how. Go and do that. If your marriage still fails after you've done that, then you haven't done it. Because the word works. You want to be double we spoke about having a double portion blessing in our lives. You want a double portion blessing in your life? It's very simple. Follow God's instructions. And don't pick and choose. Don't twist it for your own comfort. Don't make it, oh, I'm just going to adjust it a little bit here because I don't really feel comfortable with the word giving it exactly. The word gives you clear instructions. It's not vague. It's not, oh, it's a little gray. It's not. The word's very clear. The word is for life. And it's the same thing that I said when I started off. I can't make you follow the word. I want to encourage you to follow it. In the same way, the servant was encouraging Naaman. Naaman, the word of God just spoke to you. The prophet just said, you want to be cured from your leprosy, that thing that's holding you back? Just go and wash. Don't look for a bigger thing. Don't look for him to do something magical. Until obedience has become completed, you cannot expect a supernatural incursion in your circumstances to calm it, to correct it, 
and reverse it. Obedience first, it has to happen. You have to be obedient to God's word first. Now, yeah, what we should do, we should stop arguing with God. I want to ask again, what's your leprosy? Related to whatever deliverance God is going to give you for that thing that will not go away. Until you adopt, I adopt, we radically adopt obedience. Until we do that, we will not see God's double portion in our life. Now, this is the part, that, this is the, the best part of, of this whole story is this. His flesh in verse 14, it says it became like the flesh of a little child. Wow, I love that. <laughs> when you read it, don't just read over it. Read, read it and see what happened. He came, so he like, oh, you must imagine this now. Go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you will be cured, okay? One, yeah, still ugly. Two, uh, spots are still there. Three, <laughs> nose. There's something, there's no nose, you need a nose. Four, teeth. Five, you know, your hair is not back. Six, nothing. Seven, complete obedience. If we stopped at six, nothing. Seven, it says that he came up the seventh time. Not only one. Not only was he delivered, but God took him all the way back to babyhood. Man, this is the most beautiful image there is. He got delivered and he got restored. God reversed that thing. This is a grown man that has scars and he looks like he's, he's got leprosy. His skin is affected. His hair's out. He's, he's not in good shape. Not only did God just heal him from it, he took him back to babyhood. The way he was born, his skin was reversed. Everything that the enemy stole from him, everything that the, the effect of leprosy had on him wasn't just stopped. It was reversed. Man, that's amazing. But it's complete obedience. That's called exceedingly and abundantly above what you can ask or think or imagine. It says, he's saying, heal me. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do way more than heal you. I'm going to make your skin like that of a baby. Like the day when you came out of your mother's womb. That's how smooth your skin's going to be. I'm not just going to set you free from this leprosy. And this is the part that, again, like I said, every, every, every passage in the Scripture just gets better and better and better for me. Because this is, the, this is the purpose of following God's Word. This is the purpose of us getting discernment, of us now not having somebody else's faith, but it becomes our faith. Because in verse 15, because he says, But now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now I know. His, his statement has changed. A few verses earlier, he said, I hope 
that this God would deliver me. But now, Elisha's God became Naaman's God. See, when, when we step out in obedience to the word, God will deliver you. He will also restore that thing that has gone broken. But not just that, now, now he becomes your testimony. Now it becomes, I know for sure, because you've, you have experienced God's blessing in your life. What is your incurable situation today? What is it? I want to encourage you to find out what God's word says about it. Start doing what he says about it. Pray, God, open my eyes. Let me see. Let me see what you are doing. Not just see what the enemy is doing around me. Dave and worship team, you can come up. Not just see what the enemy is doing around me. Let me not just see what the results are or what the test might say or what my bank statement might say, or what my last conversation was with my spouse, or with my loved one, or with my children. Let me not just hear that. Let that not just be the thing that's resounding in my ears, and the things that I see with my eyes. But let me see what you are doing. Let me see your hand. So for every one of you that's here this morning, what is your leprosy? What is the thing that you need God for? That only He can fix. His Word's available to you. It's completely available. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is so valuable, Father, that sometimes we neglect to appreciate and value just the incredible instructions that you've given us in your word and how we are to live life and how we are to have this amazing double portion blessed life that you want us to live and it's double blessed Father because the first blessing is for us the second one is so that we can give it out to others Father I pray that every single one of us can get to the place where when our friends in the world struggle and they need somewhere to turn, that we can turn them to the Word because we've experienced it ourselves. We have experienced how the Word impacted and changed our situations and our circumstances. And we know that your Word works. We have no doubt in it. As your eyes are closed this morning, I, I want to encourage you, just as an acknowledgement before God, just saying, God, you, you know, God, I need your word. I have the situation, this, this thing that I've been trying to fix myself and I just can't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. I've been trying. And you're saying, God, will you please help me? Will you, Holy Spirit, just stir up in me what your word says about my situation. If that's you this morning, well, I want you to just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. Thank you, Lord. God, that's me. I want your word for it. Your word produces life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you minister to every single person that's here. Thank you that you bring your, your, your wisdom, your knowledge, 
and your gentleness and your love and your kindness to every person that's raising their hands and saying, God, I need you. I need your word. Thank you that you are sensitive. But thank you that you are also the one that leads us out of the situations that we are currently in. So Father, I pray for every hand that was raised. I pray for your spirit this week, today, from this day forward to continue to guide them towards your word in applying it to their lives. I know it's your will for them, Father, for them to be blessed in it. I know it's your will. And Father, I don't only pray for, for deliverance, but I pray for the restoration of that which is broken because of the choices and decisions we've made in the past. I pray for restoration, complete restoration. complete restoration in Jesus' name. Marriages healed. Addictions cut loose as if it was never there before. Complete freedom from it in Jesus' name. Restoration and healing for bodies, ailments, sickness, disease, knees, shoulders, head. Father, I pray for a cognitive ability to to have memories restored that's been lost and broken. I pray for whatever disease has come in to steal from our minds that you will go against it in Jesus' name. For shoulders, arms, muscles, bones restored in Jesus' name. Stronger than before, Lord, that, that's the God who you are. Not just to the way it was, but better, God. In Jesus' name. We love you, God, and we know that we don't deserve any of this. But you love us so much, and you want to bless us. And we receive it this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.